Welcome to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. This week, we are in a series called Fear Less. The phrase, don't be afraid, appears in the Bible more than any other biblical command, and for good reason. People of all generations have struggled to trust God when facing difficult or scary situations. Join us for Fear Less and learn from the biblical stories that can help us face our fears with faith. Well, good morning. Uh, There are a surprising number of uh, words in our English language that convey the idea of fear or worry or anxiety. Uh, The definition, according to dictionary.com, of fear is it's a distressing emotion aroused by impending danger, evil, pain, etc., whether the threat is real or imagined. And then they give a number of synonyms for fear, foreboding, apprehension, dismay, dread, terror, fright, panic, trepidation. Now, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, fear is not always a bad thing. God has created us with the ability to feel afraid, and, and this protects us sometimes. It can keep us from harm. It can keep us from doing foolish things. In fact, in some professions, being afraid will actually help you do a better job, like actors or actresses getting stage fright. But we all also know that fear sometimes gets in the way. Sometimes it hinders our lives and the joy in our lives. Sometimes we make wrong choices because we're afraid to do the right thing. How many times has that happened in your life where you're just afraid to do what's right, but there are oftentimes consequences. Fear can diminish the quality of our lives. Sometimes it can dominate us. And so it's not always a good thing. Now, this morning, I'm going to be using words like fear and worry and and anxiety and things like that interchangeably somewhat, because in the Bible, that's kind of how it's worded. Uh, Jesus talked about, for example, not worrying about the food you eat and the clothing you're going to wear and the house you're going to live in. But that same Greek word can be translated anxiety in Philippians, where Paul said, don't be anxious about anything. And so technically, I realized that those two things are a little bit different, and yet the Bible uses them interchangeably. But I do think it's important to understand some of the nuances with some of these words. For example, according to theydifferdotcom, there's a difference between fear and anxiety. They write, fear and anxiety are very closely linked to one another and in some cases can be felt at the same time. But the main difference is whether or not the fear is related to something immediate or not. Fear is a response to something immediate, whereas anxiety is a response to something imagined or something that might happen in the future. Now, this might be a little bit simplistic, but I think it does capture the idea. There's a difference between anxiety and worry as well. Those two words, we use them interchangeably, but there are some differences. According to the Henry Ford Health website, worry tends to reside in our minds. So you worry about it up here. You keep thinking about things up here. Anxiety affects both the body and the mind. You just have this sense, you know, foreboding. Worry tends to be specific. It's a very specific thing. I'm afraid of this. Anxiety tends to be generalized. Worry tends to deal with reality. Anxiety oftentimes deals with catastrophic thinking. I mean, like something bad's going to happen, and we have this in our mind. Worry tends to be temporary. Anxiety is long-standing, and worry doesn't impair function, but oftentimes anxiety can. It can immobilize us. Uh, 
And so there are some differences in these words, although I'm going to be using them again interchangeably. I think it is important that we kind of understand what's going on in my heart and my mind with this thing. Is this anxiety? Is this just fear? What is this thing? The problem with worry and anxiety is that they don't help our situation. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 27, he said, can you add a single cubit to your height by worrying? A cubit in biblical times was 18 inches, basically. It was the distance between uh, the elbow and the middle finger of a man. So it's usually about 18 inches. And, and so Jesus was asking the question, can, can you add a cubit to your height, 18 inches, by worry? I mean, is that going to help you? Will it make you taller? Do you wish you were taller? Of course it won't. Oftentimes, worry adds to the pain we're going through, but it doesn't solve anything. When I was in my early 20s, I began to worry that I was going to go bald. Yeah. Now, I imagine, I imagine that that didn't help the worry part of it as well. By the way, our old English, the old English word for worry comes from a word that means to strangle or choke, and that's how it feels sometimes. I know when I'm anxious and when I'm worried, it just feels like I'm, I'm, I'm choking, I'm strangling over this thing. Now, today we're continuing our series titled Fear Less, and this is a series uh, related to some resources that God has given to us that can help us fear less. Not that we won't get rid of all fear, but to fear less. The first week of the series, we talked about prayer and how Jesus prayed all the time. And prayer is a wonderful resource. It's often overlooked, but we need to remember to pray when we're going through difficult times. Then we talked about God's promises. Arch talked about that, the story of Gideon. God promised a bunch of things to Gideon, and he just had trouble believing time and time again. Show me a sign, you know. Lord, I'll do this if. And yet God had given him that promise, those promises, and God has given us some amazing promises as well. Last week, I talked about the fact that God's presence with us means we don't need to be afraid. Look at the story of Jesus in the boat, you know, with his disciples. That boat was not going to sink as long as Jesus was in there. But I realize we do the same thing sometimes. Even though Christ is with us, we become afraid. But today I want to talk about a, a different kind of resource, and that is the past. I want to suggest here today that we will do a better job with fear if we remember how God has been faithful to us in the past. If we can think about the various ways in which God has blessed us and protected us, taken care of us. In Philippians 77, 11, and 12, the psalmist Asaph wrote, I will remember the Lord's works. Yes, I will remember your ancient wonders. I will reflect on all you've done and meditate on your actions. Whenever we're afraid or anxious, we should think back. How has God taken care of us in the, in the past? Now, we're going to look at a story today of a, a prophet who forgot to remember. He forgot to remember. He is somebody that saw some amazing, remarkable miracles, miracles none of you have seen. And yet when his life was threatened, when he found out the queen of Israel wanted to kill him, he became terrified and he ran for his life, but he didn't remember all the ways in which God had taken care of him. Now the story of Elijah... He lived in the 9th century BC, and the story is found in 2 Kings. He served God during a, an extraordinarily wicked time in Israel's history. 
The king at the time was a guy named Ahab, and Ahab was married to a woman named Jezebel, and she was the most godless, wicked, evil woman recorded in the Bible. In fact, her name is synonymous with evil when you think of Jezebel. And this was his wife. And it's his wife, Ahab's wife, as we'll see in a minute, that wanted to kill Elijah, and that's why he was afraid. But the question I have in my mind is, after we'll see in a minute all the things that Elijah experienced, how was he so afraid? Why didn't he trust God would take care of him? Now, let me set the context for the whole story. Israel had uh, turned away from God. They were worshiping other idols. They were worshiping the god Baal, it's called, and Asherah. And, and they turned away from the living God. And God had told them ahead of time that if you do this, Israel, if you do this, then I'm going to send things your way, like pestilence, like earthquakes, like famines, like other nations are going to attack it was the loving thing to do. This is what I think God does many times to get our attention, even in this country. He allows things to happen. It has the effect of humbling us, and then we turn back to God. Well, in order to humble Israel, God told Elijah that there was not going to be any rain or dew for a certain period of time. Now, we know from the book of James that the length of time that there was going to be a famine in the land of Israel was going to be three and a half years. But Elijah was given the task of going to King Ahab and giving him this news. And so we pick up the story in 1 Kings 19.2. We read, Jezebel, Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah. May the gods punish me and do so severely if I don't make your life like one of them by this time tomorrow. When he came to Beersheba that belonged to Judah, he left his servant there, but he went on a day's journey into the wilderness. He sat down under a broom tree and prayed that he might die. He said, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my father's. Now, the story that I just read part of, we're going to look at it in a little bit more detail in just a minute here. But this was a story in which at the end of a challenge that Elijah came up with, Elijah killed all of Jezebel's prophets. Now, Jezebel had killed the prophets of Israel and the priests of Israel. So she, like I said, she was a godless woman. But in a moment, we're going to look at a story here where Elijah took all of her prophets, the prophets of Baal and Asherah, and there were 850 of them, and he had them all killed. And this was the thing that set up the fear. So you understand why he was afraid. And of course, Jezebel had killed other prophets and priests before, so it was a serious threat upon his life. So I, I get it. But as we look at the story of Elijah, we see he just, he just didn't seem to have faith, even though God had done so many, many amazing things for him. He became depressed. He became discouraged. He forgot all that God had done for him, and I find that kind of surprising. Why couldn't he trust God? with his future when God had been so faithful to take care of him in the past. Now, let me give you three incidents or three occasions where God took care of Elijah. And I want you to think about this for a moment. If this had happened to you, how would you respond when suddenly you find out your life is in jeopardy, but you remembered all these things that God had done for you? The first point is this, that God miraculously took care of Elijah's physical needs. Elijah experienced supernatural provision for his needs. 
We are first introduced to this Elijah. We find him delivering that message to the king Ahab, and he told the king that there was going to be no more basically dew or rain. It's found in verse 1 of king, 1 Kings 17. We read, Elijah the Tishbite from the Gilead settlers said to Ahab, as the Lord our God or the Lord God of Israel lives, I stand before him and there will be no dew or rain during these years except by my command. Three and a half years. Now again, God was trying to get the attention of Israel to say, you need to humble yourselves and turn back to me. But can you imagine if there was absolutely no rain in our country for three and a half years? Nothing. What would happen to the crops? What would happen to the animals? Now, God needed to take care of Elijah, and this is where the first kind of a miraculous provision takes place. We read in 1 Kings 17, 2, then a revelation from the Lord came to him, to Elijah. Leave here, turn eastward, and hide yourself at the Wadi Cherith, where it enters the Jordan. You're to drink from the Wadi. I've commanded the ravens to provide for you there. So he did what the Lord commanded. Elijah left and lived by the Wadi Cherith, where it enters the Jordan. The ravens kept bringing him bread and meat in the morning and the evening, and he drank from the wadi. After a while, the wadi dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Now, a wadi is like a, a dry riverbed. And in Israel, there are a lot of these wadis. They're either streams or the riverbeds, and most of the time they're dry, but in, in the spring or when the rainy season comes, they fill up and suddenly you have a river there. So God was providing for Elijah by saying, I want you to be over by this particular wadi, and you'll have water there. But it's this other provision that's quite remarkable. Every morning, and I think this, by the way, actually happened. Every morning and every evening, God sent ravens to bring him bread and meat. It's the first DoorDash. Uh, every morning, can you, I mean, this is remarkable. Who, else, who had ever been f fed like that? Bread from the, the, the birds, you know, meat. And the water was there. And, and, and so this is remarkable. He was taken care of in this way. But the last sentence I read here from First King, uh, Kings 17.7 was that the water dried up. So now we have a problem again. And once again, God came through for him. God sent Elijah to another country, and he spoke to a widow in that country and said, I want you to provide for Elijah. And God was going to take care of him in that way. So we pick up the story in 1 Kings 17.10. So Elijah got up and went to Zarephath. That's where this widow lived. When he arrived at the city gate, there was a widow woman gathering wood. Elijah called to her and said, please bring me a little water in a cup and let me drink. As she went to get it, he called to her and said, please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. But she said, as the Lord your God lives, I don't have anything baked, only a handful of flour in the jar and a bit of oil in the jug. Just now I'm gathering a couple of sticks in order to go prepare it for myself and my son so we may eat it and die. So you can see from this just how terrible the famine was. She was basically gathering sticks and she had just enough food for one last meal for herself and for her son. And Elijah here, he shows up out of the blue and says, well, I want you to give me some bread. I don't know what you do in that situation, but this is what Elijah said in verse 13. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid, go and do as you have said, but first 
make me a small loaf from it and bring it out to me. Afterward, you may make some for yourself and for your son, for this is what the Lord God of Israel says, the flour jar will not become empty and the oil jug will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the surface of the land. So she proceeded to do according to the word of Elijah. Then the woman, Elijah, and her household ate for many days. The flour jar did not become empty, and the oil jug did not run dry, according to the word of the Lord he had spoken through Elijah. Now, I thought the story of the ravens was pretty impressive. Have your meals delivered like this, but this is quite remarkable, too. A miraculous thing. You'd look in the jar and you'd say, well, there's just a, uh, just a cup of flour, but you stick it in there and, and there's more and there's more. And it, it continued in that way. And God took care of him so profoundly. Now, again, I would suggest that if we had experienced this, many of us would say, well, the Lord took care of me in the past. I can trust he can protect me from, from this Jezebel. But he didn't. Now, I can relate to Elijah's fear even about his provision. I'm reminded of what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 26. He was talking about don't worry about your clothing, don't worry about food, don't worry about housing. Matthew 6, 26, Jesus said, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they that whole section, Matthew 6, is stop worrying, stop worrying, stop worrying. I think we all worry, even though Jesus said it too. Will you take care of my needs? I don't know what I'm going to do. How am I going to pay for this? And then, a few verses later, Jesus said this in Matthew 6, 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. What are the things? It's food, it's clothing, it's housing, things like that. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble on its own. And so just like God provided miraculously for Elijah, I think he can do for us as well. But let's look at another way in which God took care of Elijah. Number one is that God miraculously took care of his physical needs. Number two, God answered some amazing prayer requests for Elijah. This was a guy that knew how to pray. He knew how to pray. We know from the stories that he prayed. He was, uh, God actually had him pray that it would stop raining. And God had him pray that it would start again. And God responded to his prayers. In fact, in James, it says that Elijah is, is someone who has a nature just like you and I have. He's just like we are, Elijah is. Yet he prayed and it didn't rain. Yet he prayed and it started raining. Now, when I look at people like Elijah, my first thought is, um, I'm not like Elijah. You know, he's different than I am. He's, he's someone who had more faith or this or that, but it's not true. He's just like you and I are. And our God is able to provide for us as well. But he prayed and God answered his prayer. But as the story goes on, Elijah prayed for something else and it was huge. While Elijah was staying with this widow, her son died, teenage boy died. And suddenly Elijah was like, what am I going to do about this? We pick up the story in verse 20 of 1 Kings 17. Then he, Elijah, cried out to the Lord and said, My Lord God, have you also brought tragedy on the widow I'm staying with by killing her son? 
Then he stretched himself out over the boy three times. He cried out to the Lord and said, My Lord God, please let this boy's life return to him. So the Lord listened to Elijah's voice, and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. Then Elijah took the boy, brought him down from the upper room into the house, and gave him to his mother. Elijah said, look, your son is alive. I love verse 22. It says, so the Lord listened to Elijah's voice. There are a lot of places in the Bible. In the Old Testament, it talks about how God listened to Moses. God listened to this person. God listened to that. He can listen to us as well. Now, what's a little baffling to me about this, again, is that when Elijah found himself threatened and he was running for his life, I don't see anywhere in the text where he stopped to pray and ask God to protect him. I don't see him doing that. I don't see him saying, okay, Lord, you took care of me here. You know, as we'll see in a minute, he prayed and fire came down from heaven, lightning. That was another one of his prayers. He, he, he had these amazing prayers and God responded to his requests, but... It appears he forgot to pray when he was afraid. And again, my takeaway is we'll worry less about the future if we remember how God has taken care of us in the past. But let's look at a third situation. In addition to the fact that God miraculously provided for Elijah's physical needs and he answered some amazing prayer requests. Third, God displayed his remarkable power to and through Elijah. Now, was this threat again, that sent Elijah on his knees and um, running really for his life. When we get toward the end of this story, when we get to the scene where Elijah is um, really struggling, where he's depressed and he's talking to God and he, he, he doesn't want to even live any longer. When, when we get to about that point, all of that happened in the story we're looking at now, where it was time for the the rain to start coming. And in 1 Kings 18, 1 and 2, we read, After a long time, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, Go and present yourself to Ahab. I will send rain on the surface of the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. The famine was severe in Samaria. So it was time, the, the, it was time for the famine to be done. God sends Elijah there. Of course, he prayed also that it would rain. That was the answer to his prayer. But... Elijah came up with a, um, a little competition here to turn the hearts of Israel back to God. He came up with this idea, or maybe God gave it to him, I don't know. This is what Elijah said to Ahab in 1 Kings 18, 19. He said, summon all Israel to meet me at Mount Carmel, along with the 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab summoned all the Israelites and gathered the prophets at Mount Carmel. Then Elijah approached all the people and said, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? If Yahweh is God, follow him. But if Baal, if Baal, follow him. But the people didn't answer him a word. Now this was a, a, a good challenge here. We'll see in a minute why. Continuing in verse 23. Elijah said, let two bulls be given to us. They, which is the 850 prophets, false prophets, they are to choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces and place it on the wood, but not light the fire. I will prepare the other bull and place it on the wood, but not light the fire. Then you call on the name of your God and I'll call on the name of Yahweh. The God who answers with fire, he is God. All the people answered, that sounds good. I think it's kind of a funny statement. Yeah, that sounds like a fun idea. 
Let's see who, who, which sacrifice is going to bring fire down from heaven. Now, what's significant about this test, it was brilliant, again, whether God gave it to Elijah or whether he came up with this idea. What you have to understand is that the god Baal was the god of storms. He was the god of rain. He was the god of lightning, thunder. He was supposed to be the god that was taking care of the crops, giving you rain for your crops, and God had just proved that Baal could do nothing. God had determined it's not going to rain for three and a half years. God had determined it was time to, to rain again. So this particular test is a great test because if Baal is indeed the god of thunder, then okay, fine, he'll come down with thunder and lightning. And if he doesn't, and if God, Yahweh, does it, then it would prove that he was God. Now Elijah let the priests of Baal go first, and we pick up the story in verse 26 of 1 Kings 18. So they took the bowl that he gave them, prepared it, and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Baal, answer us. But there was no sound, no one answered. Then they danced, hobbling around the altar they had made. Now it was at this point in the story that Elijah started doing what we call talking trash. I mean, this is exactly what he started doing at this point. In verse 27, at noon, Elijah mocked them. He said, shout loudly, for he's a god. Maybe he's thinking it over. Maybe he's wandered away, or, or maybe he's on the road. Perhaps he's sleeping and will wake up. They shouted loudly and cut themselves with knives and spears according to their custom until blood gushed over them. All afternoon they kept on raving until the offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was no sound, no one answered, no one paid attention. I just love that description there. Oh, they're doing all this stuff down here, dancing around, hobbling around, cutting themselves, but nobody's listening. Nobody's answering the phone. And now it was time for the evening sacrifice. They'd been doing that for hours. But now it was Elijah's turn. He picked up 12 big stones that had been part of a former altar for Israel. One stone for each of the family lines of Israel. And he rebuilt the altar. And then he dug a ditch all around it, which is kind of an odd thing to do. He built the altar, he put the uh, wood on it, he cut up the bull, but then he did something also quite interesting. He poured water on top of his. Bucket after bucket of water, he drenched it so that the little trench was completely filled with water, everything was completely soaked, and then we pick up the story in verse 36 where he's praying, Yahweh, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel and I'm your servant, and that's your word, at your word I've done all these things. Answer me, Lord, answer me so that this people will know that you, Yahweh, are God and that you've turned their hearts back. Then Yahweh's fire fell and consumed the burnt offering, the wood, the stones, and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell face down and said, Yahweh, he is God. He is God. Yeah, I would think that's about what they would do. <laughs> With this lightning comes down from heaven, consumes literally everything. And then it was at this point that Elijah said, now gather all the prophets of Baal and Asherah, Take them down to the wadi, just enough running water, and I want you to kill them all. 
Now, after this little confrontation that proved which one was the true God, Elijah went to the king Ahab and said, you better hurry up and get to Jezreel. You got to get to the city there because the storm is coming and you're going to get stuck in the mud, basically. And so Elijah, I'm sorry, the king took off in his chariot. But something interesting happened at this point in the story. The text indicates that Elijah himself ran to Jezreel and he beat Ahab there. He ran a marathon. It was over 20 miles. Elijah, in the power of God, ran a marathon back to the city. Now, I don't know why he was heading back to the city. What I do know is when he got there and Ahab told Jezebel what had happened to all of her priests and prophets, she put out this threat that she was going to kill him. And when he heard about it, he began running again. He ran another 15 miles. Can you imagine running a marathon and then running 15, another 15 miles? And then, then he, he fell asleep, the text indicates, and it's kind of interesting what happened next because he was sleeping and all of a sudden an angel came with fresh bread, baked bread and water. And he ate the meal and just like carbs tend to do, he fell back to sleep. And then a little bit later, an angel woke him up again and gave him more bread. Do you, do you see all this stuff that God is, was doing for Elijah, taking care of him every step of the way? Elijah ate this other meal, and the angel said, you're, you're going to need that food you just ate because we, we're going on a journey. And he ended up traveling 40 days and 40 nights on that one meal. Elijah did. God gave him the strength to do that. And it raises the question, like, where were they going? Where, where was God sending him? He was sending him to Mount Sinai. That mountain should sound kind of familiar. And if you think of the story of Moses, you realize a lot of these details were very similar to what Moses went through. This, this great leader of Israel was Moses. He was a guy that had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, just like Elijah now had gone 40 days and 40 nights he was someone who had seen fire come down on the mountain, and so did Elijah. Moses was one who, who got manna from heaven, bread from heaven, but so did Elijah. And God was calling him up on that mountain, and then he just stands there in front of God and says, I'm done. I want to quit. This is the mystery of it to me. Now, maybe I would have done exactly the same thing. I don't know. But it's surprising to me because of all that God had demonstrated. And I guess we're like this sometimes. I mean, God proves himself to us, but we just don't believe sometimes. T.J. Constable writes about this. It's remarkable that Jezebel's threat terrified Elijah as it did. Ironically, by contrast, he, Elijah, had told the widow in Zarephath not to be afraid. He had just demonstrated that the gods to whom Jezebel now appealed in her curse had no power at all. So let me summarize this and get to some applications. God took care of this guy supernaturally, his physical needs, food on several occasions. Now it's angels. And then God answered amazing prayers. A young boy raised from the dead, fire from heaven, a fair no rain, and then rain. And then God proved himself through several displays of power. Not just the lightning from heaven, but the, the strength God gave him. You realize God's able to give you strength. He's able to empower you. He's able to help you. And time and time again, he experienced this strength. And yet, where was his focus when things were kind of falling apart? Well, it was on his problems. 
It was not on God's provision. It was not on God's protection. It was not on God's power. That's not where he was looking. He wasn't looking at God, how God had provided for him, how God had protected him, how God had empowered him. No, he was looking at his problems. A scholar by the name of F.B. Meyer writes, unbelief puts our circumstances between us and God, but faith puts God between us and our circumstances. The key is to remember all that God has done for us. Or again, my takeaway, we will worry less about the future if we remember how God has taken care of us in the, the past. Many times in the Bible, God told the people of Israel, remember. Or sometimes it was the flip side of it, don't forget. Don't forget this. Don't forget that. Sometimes God even had them build monuments and things to remember. Remember how when Joshua went through the the Jordan River on dry ground, and then he sent back leaders in Israel, one from each tribe, to go get a huge stone and bring it to the other side on the shore. And he built an altar there so that everybody would see God parted the sea, the Jordan River, I'm sorry, the Jordan River. We crossed on dry ground, and they'd remember that miracle. That's what we need to do, remember. There are many times, well, every week I do this. I, I go for walks, I love the woods, and I pray. And as I'm walking, I continually remember. I talk with God about it. I say, thank you. I remember how when I was in high school, you took care of this. I remember how when I was um, attacked in Columbus, Ohio, I was literally stabbed. Um, and God protected me. I sat in the back of that police car with, uh, I'd taken off my white shirt because it had knife marks and was bloody. And I'd given it to the police officer, and I sat in the back of that car, and I thought, these guys tried to kill me, and they could not do it. That's, I, I just couldn't believe it. That's all I was thinking about as I sat there. I, I just can't believe it. How has God provided for you? I think at times, financially, in my own life or the church, there have been a couple of situations in this church that, from my perspective, were just miraculous how God provided out of the blue. Our God is able to help us, but will you remember I want to encourage you to consider taking a couple hours this week and just reflecting on the ways in which God has provided, blessed, protected you. Think about that. Some of you might want to consider even a journal of some kind because, again, God told Israel time and time again, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget what I've done. Because when we remember those things, we remember our God. Some of you may even consider that uh, some kind of a memento, something you put on a desk to remind you, well, this is, I remember, this is when God took care of this problem or this situation here. How has God answered your prayers in the past? How, how has God provided for your needs? How has God empowered you? How has he protected you? Because we don't need to be afraid if we remember how he's cared for us in the past. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're our God. Thank you that we're not alone in this world. Thank you that we do not need to be afraid for you are with us and you are for us. And Lord, when we are facing fearful situations, help us to remember. Remind us of all those times you've been with us and you've made the difference in our lives and taking care of our needs. Let us learn from this example, from this story. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. If you'd like to hear more messages now, you can check out our past series at theridge.church slash messages or download the free Ridge app. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next time.